out tripping. No. Anyways, yes. It is always a pleasure to be back here in, uh, in Killarney. Uh, I was here Thursday night for the concert, and uh, it was actually good to get away from camp for a little bit. It's been a busy, busy summer, and very seldom do we get away, and so it was, uh, it was nice to get away. Uh, as Kathy mentioned, we've had uh, many rental groups in, uh, user groups in this, uh, this fall, and one is there right now, uh, it's a Moral Gospel Church out of, uh, out of Winnipeg, and uh, they are a joy to, to have, and so, um, yeah, just, just pray for the, that type of ministry, as, especially now with this new building, that we can move into that and uh, provide opportunity for uh, churches to bond together in a, in a different sort of way. Instead of just sitting in the pew, they can actually come to camp and, and bond together as a family. And uh, it, it works real well. But Kathy already shared the update, so my job is to bring you into the Word. Let's pray, and then we'll do that. Father, it is a privilege to open your word, but it's also a responsibility to hear from you. And so, Father, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just uh, open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes to hear and to see what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> when I uh, read scripture, one of the things I like to do is look for certain words. Uh, words are important. Um, and we know that God's word, every word God has written there for a purpose. And I realize that there's different translations and everything, so sometimes the the words change from King James to New King James to NIV to New Living and on and on and on. But yet, the, the idea of it is still there. And for instance, if you take the word all, when, when God says all have sinned, he doesn't mean some. He doesn't mean just those that can, ever, can never be saved or he means all, all-inclusive, right? Uh, or the word but. You know, you, you have all kinds of stories of hardships and everything, and then all of a sudden there's that transition word, but. And it usually followed, but God, <laughs> right? And those words are important. This morning I want to look at one of those words that uh, grabbed my attention a few months ago uh, as uh, in a small men's Bible study, we were going through the book of John. And uh, read it many times, but it just jumped out at me. And then I started to read through the book of John, looking for that word. And I call it a divine imperative. It's the word must. Must, M-U-S-T. When God says you must, it's something that we better take note of. And so the scripture reading this morning was in John chapter 3. 
And we know the story. It's the story of Nicodemus, uh, this religious leader who came to Jesus by night. Um, another interesting study, this is just a side note, is to, is to find out, uh, do a study on Nicodemus. He mentioned, he's mentioned three times in the Gospels and three different times his growth as a believer. Okay? And yet he's one of these religious leaders. And this is the first time we see him. He comes to Jesus by night, and there's a discussion, or there's a conversation that takes place. And Jesus says that you, he had to be born again. You know, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In verse 3, well, that confuses Nicodemus. Uh, how does that's the first time that word or that phrase has ever been shared with him so his he's thinking physically and Jesus of course is thinking spiritually and so he asked the question how can this be and Jesus says we'll jump right down to verse 7 you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again he didn't come to Nicodemus and say, you know, it'll be a good idea if you were born again. You know, that, that would be a, a good step towards getting into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, you know, I, you know I, you, you've got to do some good things and whatever. No, you must. It's an imperative. There is no way around getting into the kingdom of heaven without being born again. And Jesus makes that very clear. Now, I know I'm not uh, sharing anything new here this morning, but let's look at what does it mean to be born again. And again, we can use John as an example. In John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it's, he talks about being born of God. Not of, uh, not of natural descent, not of human uh, endeavors, but being born of God. That's what being born again is. It's not, a, and Jesus even mentions it here in this passage that we read. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. And Jesus is talking about the spiritual birth. And that's what we find in John chapter 3, and verse 6, just as I said, right? Spirit gives birth to spirit. How does that happen? It comes through the Holy Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes this, He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, and that would have been Nicodemus. As a Pharisee, he would have considered himself very righteous, it's not the things that we have done. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit act that allows us to experience new birth. That also comes through the word of truth. In James chapter 1, and verse 18, again, James is writing, and he says this, he chose to give us birth, new birth, through the word of truth, 
that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. And of course, when we are saved, it really means that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not just a man, not just somebody that was in uh, history years and years ago, but he actually is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And so being born again is a spiritual birth that is mandatory. It's an imperative for us to enter heaven. Once we are born again, there are several, there are three things that will, um, a person who is born again will do. First of all, they will not continue to sin. Doesn't mean that we won't sin, but we won't be habitually looking for sin. We'll be constantly coming and confessing and, and so on. 1 John 3 verse 9 says this, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have, seen, uh, they have been born of God. And so with God residing within us, sin should not, they can't coexist. So the old uh, native tale of you, the, the dog that wins is the dog you feed, right? So it's either the wild dog or the tame dog or the wolf or the dog, you know, however you want to picture that. But the dog that you feed is the one that wins. So if you're going to feed sin, it's going to win. If you're going to feed the spiritual, the, the Christian life, it, will, it can win out. So we will not continue to sin, but 1 John 4 says this too. We will love one another. Dear friends, let us love one another. Verse, chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 John says, For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then in chapter 5 of 1 John, again the Apostle John writes, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So a person who is born again will not continue to sin. They will love one another and they will overcome the world. As Jesus carried on his conversation with Nicodemus, um, he, Nicodemus asked, how can this be? And then Jesus do, does a, a reminisce, I guess you could say, for Nicodemus. In verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The means of salvation is belief in Jesus Christ, or on, this, on the Son of Man being lifted up. And Jesus didn't say, 
that the Son of Man could be lifted up. He must be lifted up. And if you read scripture, one of the things you find is that Jesus came for that very purpose. He knew what his purpose was before he even left heaven. And he knew that he must be lifted up. And it's the image found in Numbers chapter 21 of the Old Testament, where the people of Israel had been roaming through the, uh, the desert. They were complaining. They were really upset with Moses, and God sent snakes among them. And they started to bite the people, and people started to die. And God directed Moses to build a, a brazen snake, a brazen serpent, and put it up on a pole. And anyone who looked at the snake would be healed and be saved. And that's the image that Jesus is referring to here, and Nicodemus would know it. As a Pharisee, he would know that Pentateuch <laughs> verse by verse, chapter by chapter. They didn't have those type of things back then, but, but they, they, he would know it from Genesis right through the end of Deuteronomy. He would know everything. And so he would know this story, and it would all of a sudden connect that that's a picture of what Jesus, is, of this Son of Man is going to do Jesus himself was going to do. The Son of Man must be lifted up. It's the only way. The only way God was going to uh, save the world is by taking his Son and putting him on a cross. Jesus said elsewhere, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus speaking again, he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he must be killed and on the third day raised again. You see the importance and the imperatives that God has been sharing? These are musts, not thinking of... Uh, could-be's or, or should-be's, these are imperatives. I call them divine imperatives. That was the first imperative has to do with new birth. The second imperative is found again in chapter 3, and it's John the Baptist himself is speaking here um, in verse 30. But give a little bit of a context here. The, um, John the Baptist has, is a forerunner of Christ, and he had been baptizing and, and sharing the uh, repent and be baptized. And there came a discussion between him and his disciples, and it says in verse 25, between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew. And just aside, I think that certain Jew is Nicodemus, personally, just based on the chapter that it's, that it's in and so on, and Nicodemus's uh, curiosity for finding out who Jesus was and so on. But that... That may not be true, that's just my thinking. Some translations says, and certain Jews, and plural. But in the NIV it says, and a certain Jew. 
But this, this discussion was, well, who, who's right? There, there's this, this person that, uh, uh, Jesus, that uh, he's teaching over here and you're teaching over here. Who's, who's right? What, what, is, what is right? And, and who should we follow? And John the Baptist um, shares in verse 30, this is a summation. He says, he, meaning Jesus, he must become greater. I, meaning John, must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. This is a, the imperative of sanctification. Allowing Jesus to do the work in us that he wants to do. Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He took up his cross. He followed the will of the Father. And that's what he's referring to here. Denying oneself is to cease to make self the object of life and action. Or to cease making yourself the object of, <laughs> uh, of everything, you know, the center of attention. And so it's imperative that you and I also do exactly what John does. It says here, allow him to become greater and us in our abilities to be obedient and humble to um, make him, make ourselves become less, to deny ourselves. In chapter 4, there's another must. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's the story of the woman at the well, and it's really a must of worship. Because uh, Jesus says in chapter 4, verse 24, remember the discussion that she had, well, our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews, you worship over there in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, it really doesn't matter. What he says in verse 24, he says, worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. There has to be an element of worship in our uh, understanding in a, and in our uh, ability to recognize God in, in creation, in the things around us, and we can worship him. If we're not worshiping, we're really not really putting him on a pedestal. We're not really putting him up in the place of authority that we should have. But worship has to be in spirit and in truth. Not one or the other, in spirit and in truth. And sometimes I think uh, the church gets that wrong. It's all one or it's all the other, but it's both. It's got to be both. We worship in spirit and in truth. There are other musts in the book of John, but I want to conclude by going to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. This is the, this is the just prior to Jesus healing the man born blind. 
that confused the Pharisees and wanted him, uh, figured that uh, um, and and the disciples came and were wanting to know well who sinned his him or his parents you know the the, the story and Jesus in his uh, dis, um, saying well neither. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. This is the imperative of mission. We must do the work of him who sent me. Every staff member that came to camp was doing the work of the one who sent them, i.e. God the Father. I find it interesting that Jesus uses the word we here. Because if you remember when he was 12 years old and he was in the temple and they all left and Mary and Joseph had to go back and find him and he's in front of the teachers of the law instructing them and teaching them and, and talking with them. And they got a little upset with him, and Jesus turns to them as a 12-year-old and said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? It was I there. That was his purpose. But here he includes we, all followers, all those that believe in Jesus Christ, that have come to faith in Jesus, his disciples, we must do the work of the Father. And that's our role. That's your role as a believer of Jesus Christ, to do the work of the Father. And we could spend a, quite a bit of time on what does that work look like. <laughs> it can be anything. Uh, done in, in the name of God, done for the purpose of sharing and, uh, and proclaiming the good news that Jesus loves and that Jesus cares. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's what happens here every Sunday. That's what happens at camp every week and during the summer, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So in conclusion, how do we respond to these divine imperatives? These musts, how do we respond? There's really only one way, obedience. We need to obey. John 14, 23, again, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever loves me will obey my teaching. Obedience is the way 
on the Sunday School song. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And then 1 John chapter 4, again John writing, and sorry, chapter 2, verse 4, 5, and 6. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, don't you like the word must? <laughs> it puts an awful lot of pressure on us, doesn't it? You must live as Jesus lived. But it's doable because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the very Spirit of Christ living in us. And so it's not unreasonable for that Spirit to understand how Christ lives, because it's his spirit. And so when we trust and we obey, when we are obedient to doing what he asks, we can live as Jesus did, and the world will take notice. So the ultimate question is, or the very first question is, have you been obedient to the, you must be born again? Has it been just a thought in your mind? Have you actually been obedient to it? And you've responded, there's no better time than right now. What about allowing the Holy Spirit to make you holy? He must increase i must decrease or is it all about you only you can answer that question because you can look really good and really spiritual sitting in a pew but your mind and your your whole thinking could be something totally different we're really good at masking aren't we but jesus says we need to let him become dominant. And what about our worship? Do we criticize? Do we, are we one that just worships just freely because we know the truth and we want to worship in spirit and in truth? And finally, there's our mission. Are we obeying the command? to go and make disciples because we must be about the Father's business, the Father's work. Father God, thank you so much for this one word. Thank you that it draws us into a relationship with you if we just become obedient. And Father, in that obedience, it allows us also to become holy. And we can never be as holy as you. We understand that. But Father, we can strive to be all that you want us to be by allowing you to be dominant in our lives, in our thinking, in our speaking, 
in our actions. And so, Father, help us to be obedient in that. But then, Father, help us to be obedient in our mission, in what we do to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. So, Father, teach us even, the, even more the importance of these divine imperatives as it relates to us personally and also as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.